0: Amen, amen. Well, hey, check this out. Take your Bibles now and open up to Judges 16. Judges 16 is the final installment in the sad, silly, sinful story of Samson. Man, stories of failures and folly, ending though with stories of forgiveness as well. And it's taken us five weeks to cover Samson's story and the inception with his mom and dad, Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, and God's great promise to Samson that God was going to begin to deliver Israel through Samson. But you guys know that Samson did not return the favor, did not walk in allegiance to the Lord, but instead in stupidity and obstinance apart from the Lord. And we're going to learn from his story. As a matter of fact, you guys have been learning from Samson's story. I've been learning a ton. God taking me on a deep dive. God showing me warning upon warning upon warning for not only my life, but for our lives as we study a guy who lived 3,500 years ago. And I'll tell you what, it can be a little bit troubling at times. A matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, last week, I met a guy on the property. He drove a dump truck up there, and when he saw me, he jumped out of the dump truck. He said, aren't you that pastor from that church? I said, no, you got the wrong guy, you know, wrong guy. And he said, hey, I was at church for the first time in my life last Sunday, and I felt personally attacked the entire time. Thank you. And he shook my hand. I said, come back next week. We'll be doing it again, you know. Welcome to the word. And the word of God is intended to edit us. Sometimes we want to edit the word of God. Well, I don't like what it says there. That's a little bit harsh. That's a little bit unrealistic. No, no. God looks at you and says, you need to be edited. You need to adjust. You need to give your life unto my directions and unto my light and unto my lamp. As we're studying the life of Samson, man, he blows it left and right. Everything he does is wrong except in verse 25, or actually verse 20 of chapter 15. That's the last part we just read. Let's read it together quickly. It says, And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Doesn't give much commentary or content, but we know he was a judge and had some good days until he started following his worldly passions, his fleshly impulses. Now, every one of us have worldly passions and fleshly impulses. Every one of us have a couple demons that have been assigned to us our entire life. Every one of us have battles and chinks in our armor, all kinds of things that happen to us when we were raised a certain way and all kinds of things that we've grabbed along the way off the conveyor belt of sin and worldly things. And each one of us have something to learn today as we study Samson's life. And I would hope that you would do that. Lean in. The Bible says in multiple places that the Old Testament was written for our learning for our comfort, for our admonition, and for our hope. So that way we don't get all banged up or screwed up or lost along the way. And let me just remind you, there are two people that have intentions and purpose for your life. Number one is God. God has purposes for your life. He has intentions for your life. Just like he told Sammy boy, I got some stuff I want to do. I got some stuff I want to see in your life. God has purposes and intentions for your life, but there's another person who does this well. And it's not God, it's the devil. The devil has a plan for your life. Did you know that? We see this multiple times in scripture. The devil has given assignments to you and given demons over for you to plague you and to walk with you all the days of your life. We see this in the scriptures. And I would just encourage you to buckle down, to humble yourself and to pray every single day, Lord, don't let the enemy have his way in my life. Lord, may you have your way in my life, body, mind, spirit make room for the Lord, starve the enemy, starve the flesh, starve the devil. Every day is a new fight. Every day is the same pattern. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. James chapter 4 verses 7 through 10. It goes on to say after you've resisted the devil and drawn near to the Lord to repent, you double-minded sinners, to repent, to weep and wail and moan. To find yourself in a position, in a place of brokenness. And the Lord will rebuild you up. We're going to see Samson finally get to that, but not before he loses everything. And God wants us to learn. I remember when I was in my wayward days in 1997 and 1998 and the beginning of 1999, I was in Ashland, Oregon, and I lost my mind, went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and became wayward and worldly. My parents were here in Newport still. And they grabbed another couple and they began to pray fervently for their son, their backslidden, Egypt-ridden son. And they began to pray a specific prayer. Lord, don't let Satan have his way with our boy. And I believe it, that prayer was answered. That Satan desired to take me not just down a sad, silly, sinful path, but Satan desired to kill me. Satan desired to take me out. But God stopped the devil in his tracks, redeemed what he had done in my life. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us here that have a pulse, you still have a purpose. You might be caught up in something. You might have all kinds of issues that you're dealing with right now. But if you have a pulse, today can be the day where you're purified, you're made new, and you course correct and say, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. Satan has a desire for my life and I want God's desire for my life. And there'll be a change and a shift immediately. Look at verse one of chapter 16. We're going to study all 31 verses. There's no third service, so I can go as long as I want. Ushers, can you shut the door? And the locket. He's leading now for 20 years. But look at verse 1 of chapter 16, the final installment. Now Samson went to Gaza. And he saw a harlot there. And he went into her. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him just right to the good stuff he goes off his path and finds himself being surrounded found out and now there's been a death sentence commanded upon his life and we can learn so many obvious and valuable lessons here the first thing is why in the world is samson going to gaza this is philistine country there would be no reason for him to go here as a matter of fact gaza in those days just like today was a mediterranean coastal community and this would have been a place of party and an immorality. This would have been like Daytona Beach during spring break for a freshman. I'm just going to go to the beach and see what happens. And he goes this way. It'd be like going to Tijuana or some nefarious place. And do you think he was shocked when he saw a harlot there? <gasps> I didn't know that had harlots here. You're crazy. No. He knew what he was doing. He went 40 miles off his beaten path and he found himself where he shouldn't have been doing what he should have never done. Now, it's a pretty extreme story, but this is how it is for all of us in our sinful tendencies. Nobody takes one big step to Gaza. It's a bunch of little steps that lead us to Gaza. You can't just get there with one big step. Listen, so too in all of our lives, the sin that so easily entangles us and takes us down, nobody gets there in one step, but it's a series of compromising steps. Nobody says, I'm going to become an alcoholic. How hard can it be? I'm going to try as hard as I can to become an alcoholic. Nobody says that. But instead, you start to drink, and you start to not take control of yourself, and you tend to go overboard, and you get drunk. All these things happen, and next thing you know, you find yourself bound up in sin that you would have never entangled yourself with had you known where that road leads to. It's the same with drugs and getting addicted. Most people say, well, it's a social norm, and it's legal, and it's okay. I would never do these drugs, but these drugs might lead to these drugs, and nobody says, I'm going to become a hardened drug addict. How hard can it be? I'm going to work as hard as I can to be a drug Nobody says that. Nobody says I'm going to steal from the company and start embezzling money. But one day maybe you take something you shouldn't have taken from the company and nobody knows and you're in charge and you have accountability, but you can make some decisions and you start to waffle then in your compromises and after step by step after step, you're in too deep and you're stealing from your employer. It happens to so many people. Most people don't say I'm going to become addicted to pornography or become an adulterer in one step. But we make little steps, little looks, little glances, little clicks. We say, I will never go further than this. But Satan knows how that works, and he wears us down. Nobody says, I'm going to have an adulterous relationship with the people I work with. But you start flirting with the wrong person. You start giving your heart over to the wrong individual. All of this is step by step. We can deal with overeating, overspending, gambling, anger, all the things that happen to our flesh. Listen, this is an opportunity, South Beach Church, to read Samson's story. Say, what was he doing going to Gaza? And how did that go for him? What happened next? He finds himself with the harlot, linking. By the way, three things quickly about sin. Number one, it was found out that he was there. Did you know that nothing you do in secret will ever stay in secret? How scary is that? That's so scary. Jesus said it this way. What's done in the dark will be brought to the light, period. The Bible says in the book of Numbers, be sure your sin will find you out. It's just the way it is. See, what we do is we sin secretly. We put little seeds in the ground. We cover them up and we water them. And then we put them in the closet and hope they don't grow. And then our loved ones go in the closet and open it up like, "Whoa, what is this? You know, many of us, we sow seeds of flesh. You're like, I hope this doesn't grow. And it's like, dude, it's a principle. God, Jesus, the Bible says it this way. Do not be mocked. God is not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. If you're sowing. And by the way, for you who are doing good things right now, don't grow weary in it. Keep going. You might not have seen fruit in your life or your marriage. Maybe you've repented. Maybe you're walking right You keep planting seeds of righteousness, but it's not bearing fruit. Just give it some time. It will. So too, the principle is not untrue for sin. There will be issues. Number one, we see that he was found out. Number two, that they surrounded him. Yeah, He's now surrounded. This is what sin does, man. It takes over. You can't control sin. You can't keep it at bay. It will grow and surround you. And number three, their intention was let's lie and wait. And we see Sammy Boy, let's kill him. This is sin's desire for you. You know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Okay, sometimes we negotiate with that. We're like, I don't want a ton of stealing and killing and destroying, just like 30%. Don't we do that sometimes? Like, I don't want you to kill everyone in my family, just a couple of them. You know, it's like, what? Is that, not how, is that not what we're saying when we, when we compromise and sin? If you were to negotiate with an insurance salesman, you want any destruction or stealing or any of that? And you're like, no, none. Keep it off the menu. Well, these are all principles tried and true. And I just remind you, and I warn myself, that this is because of steps gone uncorrected. Look at verse three. It says, Samson lay low till midnight. And then he arose at midnight, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts. Pulled them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders, and he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. What in the he-man is he doing? He starts walking around at midnight, and he's all where he shouldn't be, doing what he shouldn't do, and he starts to get wind. I don't think I'm in the right place. The gates are locked. I feel like I'm being entangled. Something's wrong. And so like he's done in the past, he just starts going all weird and crazy, for some reason grabs the gates. Most commentators and historians guess that this gate system would have weighed about 5,000 pounds, two and a half tons, and he pulls it up, bar and all, and then he could have just gotten out and escaped at this point, he's like, watch this, and he throws it on his back, and it's a burden carry, and he's like, watch, man, he takes it to the hill of Hebron, which could be either four miles away, that's crazy, or 40 miles away. Either way, this guy's lost his mind. I don't know about you when I go to do leg day, but I'm not picking up 5,000 pounds, you know what I'm saying? You know what I think he was doing is he was once again duped by his own gifts and his own strengths. And even as this gate that was supposed to be intended to hold him back was easily defeated, he must have thought that wasn't that hard. Watch this, and he continues to flex with his God-given gifts. And he continues to play with fire and he continues to listen, feed his own ego and to find himself playing with fire, not realizing that he was getting sadly and sinfully close to destruction in his life. And when we play with fire and when we don't correct and when we don't find ourselves repenting, it's going to lead to more sins. And I just want to be the person and I want us to be the church. That when we find ourselves surrounded and we find ourselves dealing with death and chaos, and when we find ourselves being found out, that instead of playing with fire and just let's just keep going, instead, that be the day of repentance. That be the day where we say, Lord, rescue me. I'm in too deep. Because if you don't do that, it's only going to get worse when we begin to get cocky and full of ourselves. How do I know? Look at the next verse. Look at verse four. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Oh, Delilah. We all heard this name before. Her name's famous. She's been in Hollywood musicals and movies, and everybody knows this story. And he finds himself now going to a place called Sorek. Sorek was a border town between Israel country and Philistine country. And because of his unrepentant sin, he finds himself now going to another border region, just trying to find how close he can get to the things going on just on the other side, which is indicative of a heart that's not been exposed or repented. And not only that, but he goes to Sorek. Did you know Sorek It actually means choice vineyards? We know that as a Nazarite, he's been instructed to stay away from dead things and from vineyards and from, from cutting his hair and to give himself consecrated over to the Lord. He's already broken two of those vows to the Lord. He's touched dead things. He's gone to plenty of parties and vineyards. And now he finds himself going to the choice vineyard. This would have been the place to go. This would have been the club. This would have been the place to find all of the other clubbers. And he wants to find them. And then he finds this gal named Delilah. Delilah in the Hebrew her name the first part of her name Delal Delilah means to literally weaken or to impoverish Does it get any clearer He's going to the club he's right on the border and he's going to find himself weakened and ultimately impoverished And these are so easy to teach so easy to discern but as believers one of the mistakes we often make when our lives are completely consecrated and committed to the Lord is we find the border I don't, I'm not going to go over the border, but I just want to get close to it. And don't you ever feel this temptation to just to get as close to the border as you can? You're not going to go over it, but I'm going to get right next to it. And the believer ought not to ask the question, how close to the border can I get? But the believer ought to say, how far away from the border should I stay? In our relationships, well, let's not get crazy, but let's get real close. In the way that we entertain ourselves. Well, I'm not going to go nuts, but I'm going to get real close. What's the rating on this particular entertainment movie? What's the relationship like here? Where's this really going to go? I definitely don't want to go over the border, almost be a border dweller right here. You know, do you ever find this temptation? It made the Lord say, What if he wouldn't have done this? Well, he wouldn't have been weakened, wouldn't have been impoverished, he wouldn't have gone to the club, and yet he wasn't willing to learn. From all the things that God had given to him clearly to learn from. Look at verse 5. He now has this girlfriend and he's there in Sorek. And it only gets worse. This is not an easy portion of scripture to teach. I'm going to do my best. Let's learn it together. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her. And they said to her, hey, entice him. Find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And so Delilah said to Samson, Hey, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Stop right there, eyes up here. If a couple ever needed counseling, it's this one. You know what I'm saying? Is this not a toxic relationship? These guys come to her like, Hey, Delilah entice him. Find out how we may bind him so we can afflict him. We'll pay you $1,100. You actually don't love him at all. You just love the lifestyle you're living. We'll buy out your love. All she wanted was the money. She goes immediately to poor Sammy boy and says, hey, I was curious. Where does your strength come from? And if I ever wanted to bind you and afflict you, how would that look? Just curious. This is right when you're supposed to break up with this person, okay? This is when you're supposed to call for the Uber. I got to go. I'm in too deep. This is not okay, okay? Samson, though, has at this point, listen, been deceived. He can't see it. The craziest thing about self-deception is you don't know you're self-deceived. How would you know you're self-deceived if yourself has been deceived? It's crazy. And let's just let that settle in because every single one of you are self-deceived somewhere right now. To say you're not self-deceived proves that you're actually self-deceived. To say, I wonder if I'm self-deceived. I wonder if there's something in my life that I don't see exactly the way the Lord. I wonder if I've bitten on the bait. I wonder if I've gone too far, if I've crossed over the border. That's a good place to dwell, not in stinking thinking or introspective witch hunts, but to say, Lord, am I self deceived? Am I prideful? Am I lustful? Do I have things that need to be brought into accountability, Lord? And the Lord will show you. He'll convict you. And then he'll also help you. Samson wasn't asking any of these questions. He's hanging out with the wrong crowd that wants to do him in. And it almost seems made up. Like, is this a script from a movie? How could this even happen, this conversation? And Delilah, she's exposed here. She doesn't love him at all. She just loves the money. Which, by the way, you need to count this as truth. Any sin you get tempted into, entertaining any lifestyle choice, you say, well, this is good for me. Anything that's wanton or rebellious or forbidden from the Lord, from his point of view, and you kind of negotiate and rationalize, well, it's probably, it's not okay. Sin and rebellion and Satan's ways never have your best interest in mind. Never once, never, 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 ever. It's only to steal, kill, and to destroy every single time. This will help you in your battle of the mind. This will help you in your resistance to rebellion. This will help you in your resistance to sin and temptation that looks luring and enticing and interesting. To know, no, that is gonna rip me off and there's nothing I'm gonna gain from this relationship, from this experience and from this thing. And then to fight that battle by resisting the enemy and he'll flee from you, draw near to the Lord. Samson doesn't do that. He doesn't see his girlfriend in her attempts at taking his life down. She also being swayed by the people around her you've heard it said before i'll say it again sin isn't bad because it's forbidden but god forbids sin because it's bad because when we sin and when we do things the lord says "Hey, don't do that no 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 no. don't let that grow don't let that fester don't give room for that Ah, lord you're so old school Lord, you're such a cosmic killjoy. Don't you know what's happening in today's society? We've progressed, we've grown, we've matured, we've moved on from these archaic biblical principles. And the Lord says, that's still forbidden because it's so, so bad. It will kill you. It will destroy. It will hurt you every single time. And when you know this cognitively, when you decide to believe this, oh man, it will help your resistance. It will help your fight. Not that you fight in a self-righteousness, but in a position of humility saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you give me this day, my daily bread. Lord, you lead me into not into temptation, Lord. Give me exactly what I need. Well, all of this is going on and Samson is, Uh, failing miserably. Look at his answer, verse seven. And Samson said to her, hey, man, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, well, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she pounded him with them. I don't even know how this looked. Like, was this, was he sleeping? Were they there? Was he a little bit suspicious, you know, when the seven fresh bowstrings show up on Amazon Prime? Like, where do you need this for, babe? You know, like, is he a little bit suspicious? I'm not sure. Verse nine, and now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said, may hey, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. And so the secret of his strength was not known. Now, by the way, we've talked about the secret of his strength before. The source of his strength was the Holy Spirit. The secret of his strength, this is important for you who are serious about your walk. The source of his strength was the Holy Spirit. But the secret of his strength was his commitment in his consecration. And I want you to wrestle with that. I'm going to wrestle with that this week too. Maybe not just this week. Maybe until I die. The source was the Holy Spirit. Duh. Had nothing to do with him. Your gifts, your strength, your power, nothing to do with you. Oh, praise God. So glad. Man, if it was up to us, we'd all be in trouble. But the secret to the source of the strength of Samson's life was his commitment in his consecration and I believe that's worth taking for a spin for you and for me who want to do well who want to run to win who want to race to win like the apostle Paul said all athletes compete but not all athletes win only those who compete according to the rules win Paul said I buffet my body some of you say I buffet my body different different (laughs) different I buffet my body that I might not be disqualified after having preached the gospel to others. I beat myself into submission. Paul uses the illustration of a shadow boxer. So he's just wrestling with flesh. So I'm not going to give in. I'm not going that route. Because I don't want to be deceived. The source, the Holy Spirit. The secret, consecration and commitment. Take it for a spin. Be careful of the ditch of legalism. It's right there. Be very, very careful of the ditch of legalism. But I do believe that there is a principle of power and success for men and women who seek him early, who seek him fervently, who carve out time throughout the week, who do hard things and spend time with Jesus, with the Lord, with the Spirit. Well, Samson's messing around. We know the secret. Look at verse 10. He says, Then Delilah said to Samson, Hey, look, you mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, Man, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, well, then I shall become weakened like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, and men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like thread. Man, she is relentless. won't stop continues at him and by the way in your fight against sin don't expect it to be easy don't expect the enemy not to come back jesus said when you sweep up a house and kick out the strong man get ready he's coming back with seven other bad boys okay make sure that house is occupied by the holy spirit make sure you've made provisions and room for him accountability fellowship readiness don't be afraid of the devil okay don't give him any don't give him any pleasure in that but don't be deceived also in the fight of your life He comes back and he's going to try and get you. Look at verse 13. Well, Delilah said to Samson, hey, man, until now you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, man, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. And so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web of the loom. Stop right there. Eyes up here. What in the world is Samson doing? He's getting closer and closer to the kill spot. He's getting closer and closer to his kryptonite, which was his hair. This probably wasn't how he intended it to go. He's making stuff up with bowstrings and new ropes. Now he's getting very, very close to what will actually take him out and do him in. I don't think he saw this. I don't think he knew. I think as a matter of fact, he was filled with pride and filled with his own self-achievement that he had been deceived because of his own strength and prowess. It also says that he was woke up. This is the first time we see that. We can infer that the other two times he was also asleep when he was bound with ropes. And but I don't know. How many days did this go on? What did this look like? Why was he sleeping when he should have been praying? I read one commentator who pointed out this fact. He said, maybe Samson was getting tired in general. Maybe there was a weariness in his life. Maybe there was some stuff that just, maybe his sinful tendencies and behaviors had finally caught up with him. He just was tired. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel extra bad, but be careful of weariness and lethargy. Be, be careful of just being overwhelmed. See, the Bible has instructed you and I to take a Sabbath, to take a rest. The Bible has instructed us to make sure we just rest, just enjoy once, once a week, just enjoy the Lord. Don't do anything. I don't want to ask you the question, but I don't do very good at that. I'm not very good at that. I know I'm supposed to, Yet I find myself at age 45, 22 years married, 23 years in the ministry. There's areas in my life, I'm tired. Just tired. Careful. Careful. That's exactly what Samson was when Delilah put him to sleep and then began to bind him in this way. Well, he's able to escape it thus far. Look at verse 14. Nope. Look at verse 15. And then she said to him, How can you say I love you? When when your heart is not with me. He's like, well, I'm trying, babe. I'm trying, you know. But you've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with these words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart. Stop right there. Eyes up here. What in the heck? After he was pressed and vexed to death, finally to get some re reprieve and some relief he's like okay, okay 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 sheesh sheesh you're gonna kill me so i'm gonna tell you what will kill me and he finally gives in to avoid death he's vexed to death is what it says in order to avoid being vexed to death he gives in to that which would kill him interesting twist and so, too, for you and I, believer, who are finding ourselves struggling with this giving in. I just, oh, man, it's so, so hard. I just, I just need a relief, and I need a little bit of reprieve, and maybe that will bring me life. Eh? No, wrong door. Samson gave in to this sin and this temptation. Again, I'll say it again. Resist the devil and draw near to the Lord. Weep and repent you sinners James 4 7 through 10 this is the only way to find yourself getting the reprieve and the relief you're looking for is at the foot of the cross is in communion and in accountability oh I don't want to fight anymore I'm not going to give by the way she deceives him you don't love me you haven't shared shared with me your heart and finally in verse 17 he told her all his heart Stop right there I said the heart of the issue is always an issue of your heart. What's going on in your life? Where's the area? Where's the lukewarmness? Where's the indifference? Where's the shadiness? Where's the sinfulness at? You can always trace it back to a matter of the heart. I would encourage you to do this, actually. Pray to the Lord. Lord, what's, what's wrong with me? You and the Lord, cry out to Him. You could do it today at the end of the service. You could go home tonight, depending on where you're at. Lord, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my heart? And I promise you, He'll speak to you. He'll show you what's going on. Maybe it was something that happened when you were younger. Maybe it's something else that you would never even consider that's leading you to this way of thinking. It's an issue of the heart. It's not the outward workings of your sinful tendencies of lust and drinking and drugs or stealing or dirty, all these things that happen. The Bible says to guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. The heart's interesting, isn't it? My dad just had heart surgery on Friday. The heart's an interesting organ, but the heart is the seat of our soul. And the Bible actually says that you can't trust your own heart. Did you know that? It also says you can't change your own heart. Let me tell you good news though. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. If you repent in the way you think, Lord, I don't want to do that. Lord, I want to be different. Lord, can you change my heart? Oh, yeah. I'm the heart surgeon. I'm the heart master. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. God won't change your mind, but he can change your heart. You and only you have the capacity to change your mind. And your mind is renewed by the washing of the water of the word. And when you find yourself, say, Lord, what do you think? What do you say, Lord? And you bring your mind into subjection to the Lord. And then the Lord brings healing to your heart. Oh, happy day that is. Lord, change our hearts. You know, the Lord is pleased with that prayer. Sometimes we get all freaked out about the way things are going in our life. Lord, change my spouse and change these actions and change these tendencies. And Lord's like, those are all symptoms. I will change those, but it's not, those are symptoms. And how how painful this relationship that's happening between Delilah and Samson, because you know what he's about to do? He's going to open up his heart to the wrong person. Look what he does, verse 17. And then he told her all his heart. And he said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Whoa. Samson has finally broke down, but he's in the wrong place. He's not at the foot of the cross with his Savior, with his God, with his Creator. He's behind enemy lines. He's crossed over the border, and he's about to be weakened, and it Well, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, hey, come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. And so the lords of the Philistines, they came up to her and brought her the money in their hand. Oh, wicked deeds. Verse 19, and then she lulled him to sleep on her knees, called for a man and had his locks of his head shaved and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Holy smokes. Hopefully you can see this scene. It's so sad, so weird. He's sleeping on her knees when he should have been praying on his knees. He's been lulled to sleep, and maybe today, somewhere, tonight, you need to find a quiet spot and go to your own knees and say, Lord, I want to bear my heart to you. Lord, deliver me from this sin. I've been rebellious. I've been sinful. Lord, forgive me. And you won't then find yourself suffering the same fate as Samson. And then the saddest two verses in all of this book, possibly in the Old Testament, look at verses 20 and 21. And she said, the Philistines were upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep. And he said, I will go out as before as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And then the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes. My margin says they bored out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Oh man. By the way, we'll get to the next verse in a second, which is the happiest verse in this whole chapter, but it's followed by the two hardest verses. The spirit of the Lord left him and he didn't even know it. Oof! Fully deceived. And then the Philistines came upon him and when he began to fight back this time, there was no fight left in him. And he suffered the three consequences of sin so easily studied in verse 21. Number one, it blinded him, just like our sin blinds us. When we sin, when we justify things as the Bible says not to do, we are blinded. People look at you and they look at me and say, what's he doing? What's she up to? Why is she acting that way? And you and I and we can't see it because that's what sin does. It blinds us. He literally had his eyeballs plucked out of his head. Secondly, he was bound with bronze fetters. Your sin will not only blind you, but when you're doing sin and compromising sin and justifying sin, you too will be bound spiritually. You won't have the same freedom you once did. You won't be able to go to the same places and be the same person. You've all experienced this. There's something wrong with my walk right now. You're bound, and not only are you blinded, and not only are you binded, but you'll find yourself grinding. He was made a grinder. This was an animal's job. He would push the wheel around, kind of go in circle, grinding grain for the bad guys. So too in your life, when we don't repent, we find ourselves in too deep. We just keep going round and round, feeding the crazy cycle. And there's so much we could just spend hours and days here. I'm not going to look at the next verse, twenty-two. However, I've got that circled. However. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, if I were in charge of the Philistine, you know, grinding stable, I would have positioned a supercut right there. You know what I'm saying? Supercuts, always open, just walk right in, just give him a shave every single You know what I'm saying? His hair began to grow back. I don't know how long. Have you ever seen how fast your hair grows back? Okay, when you shave your head, now, those of you who are bald, just use your imagination. Just go with me, you know. You guys know that when, you're, when you shave your head, it grows back. When you shave your hair, on your, it grows back. It grows back a couple different ways. It grows back eventually. It also grows back slowly. But it does grow back. And I want to give you guys good news and give us grace. As soon as he had found himself in this position of pain and difficulty and sadness, immediately the grace of God began to minister to him. This is crazy. I don't even think this is a story about Samson as much as this is a story about God's grace. See, Samson would make it into the hall of faith somehow. Not by his own efforts. And you're going to make it into heaven also somehow. Not by your efforts. But only by Jesus and his grace and mercy to you. And that changes everything. And Samson's hair began to grow back slowly. And I want to speak a word of encouragement for those of you who are in too deep. You've gone too far. You're caught up in something you should have never been caught up in. You're way too far. Oh my gosh. Guess what? God's grace is sufficient for your needs. Give it some time. Have you ever had a really bad haircut before? Just the worst, like oh no, oh no, it grows back, it grows back. You know, or maybe you've grown your hair out and you're in that awkward stage. Maybe you were spiritually, you're kind of on that awkward stage. Okay, take hope, take heart. God's grace will be and is sufficient for you. Verse twenty-two, on the heels of the saddest verses in the whole book. However, I love that word. However. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. I would remind you, though, one thing didn't grow back. His eyeballs. Those didn't come back. Never again. Because as powerful and radical as God's grace is, the lasting consequences and pain of our sin still is felt. Don't don't mock the Lord. Don't play with fire. Simultaneously, side by side, like train tracks. Man, I, I did some things I should have never done when I was younger. I'm dealing with stuff right now. I shouldn't be doing this. And it feels like I'm bound and blinded and grinding. You are. Lord, would you give me grace? Yep. Yep, I will right now. Grace. I will grow newness in your life. I will restore your marriage. I will restore the fervency of your walk with me. I will restore to you the joy of your salvation and I will not take the Holy Spirit from you. This is what the Lord declares. I will grow in you something new. But Lord, it feels like there's been death and damage. There has. See, we live in a broken world, don't we? It's all messed up. And yet, as we find ourselves walking in God's grace, we can be what's known as wounded healers. How did that marriage go for you? Oh, man. Philip apart. Are you healed yet? Have you been forgiven have you been delivered have you been restored has it grown back yet trust the lord that he can even restore the years that the locusts have eaten but we see samson here i'm going to read the rest of the story i know we've gone long but you guys can handle it forgive me sunday school workers forgive me as well let's finish the story verse 23 says now the lord of the philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to dag on their god and to rejoice and they said our gods has delivered into our hands samson our enemy And when the people saw him, they praised their false God and they said, our God has delivered into our hands the enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. Oh, man. One of the main reasons, one of the also reasons why we need to abstain from sin and rebellion and carnality as believers is because when we fall, when ministries crumble, it gives Gentiles and non-believers too much to celebrate about. There's been so many, even in today's modern age, Christians and pastors and ministers that have fallen and the rest of the non-believing world has a heyday and headlines are printed and songs are written. Ugh, look at verse 25. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they called for Samson, that they may perform for us. And so they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. And then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, hey, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. And now the temple was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord. Stop right there, Izzapir. Did you know that while Samson was grinding, while he was grinding the grain, walking in blindness, all bound up, his heart was changing? Every day around that circle, he was crying out to the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. Oh, Lord, what have I done? Oh, Lord, where am I? Literally, where am I? Lost, broken. And in verse 28, as his hair's growing back, his heart is being healed. He calls to the Lord, oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and on the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him, in between Zora and Eshetol in the tomb of his father Manoah and Mrs. Manoah and he judged Israel 20 years stop right there I up here. I'm going to have Hillary and the girls come up and lead us in a song of worship and response you see Samson's life had changed while in prison Samson's life had changed while going through his loss through his pain and now we find something different in Samson's life do you remember what we were able to identify at the beginning of Samson's story He didn't have accountability, didn't care about God or his parents or anybody. He didn't have devotion. He was dedicated, but he didn't have a relationship with God devotionally. And he also didn't have any care or protection for purity to match his power. But now at the end of his life, what do we see? We see Samson is accountable finally. To who? A little boy. Hey, hey, little boy, will you help me? This is Samson! Samson! The hero. And now on the day that God used him greater than any other day, he was so humbled that he had given himself over to a little lad. Hey, can you show me around? I don't, I don't even know what's going on. The Bible says that God honors humility. He gives grace to the humble, but he gives resistance to the prideful, to those who say, I don't need that. I'm above the law. I'm an exception to the rule. I've been doing things my way my whole life and it's got me this far. And you look around, and you're not very far. You're not where you want. Can you imagine where you would be if you would have given yourself over to the Lord holy? Not only did he have accountability, but he also had devotion. This is only the second time in all of four chapters that we see Samson pray. The first time he prayed, Lord, give me something to drink. He, all for his flesh. He was mad, he was frustrated. The last and only other time we see Samson praying, after he's been ground down, he says, Lord, don't give me something to drink. Instead, let me die. Let me die. Take my life. Lord, it's not about me. Forgive me. Forgive me for self-preservation, for self-promotion, for selfish tendencies, all these things. Lord, it's not, not my way, but thy way. Lord, have your way in my life. There comes a point in your life through many ups and downs and bumps and bruises where the Lord says, Hey, walk in accountability, but also, would you just die? Would you die to self? Would you do it? Don't promote yourself anymore. Don't protect yourself. Don't live for yourself. And if you choose to do that today, I promise you the life that you'll experience will be greater in that day than in any other day of self preservation or promotion. Die to yourself. And finally, we see not only accountability and not only devotion, but we see purity, an expensive purity. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, get get real, get serious. I believe that's what Jesus was saying. Do what you got to do to win in the battle of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And now when Samson was walking around, you know what he didn't have troubling him? All the the Philistine ladies, He couldn't see any of them. It had been dealt with. Listen, the pull pull and the lull of this world had been taken away from him and he could now see the things of God. He could see what mattered most. He was finally purified. Not just one eye, but both eyes. And it allowed him then to live his life right and pure. He said, Lord, just take me right where I'm at. And more was accomplished in this man's life in one day in his death than the entirety of everything else he tried on his own. So here's how we're going to close the service. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. If you have to go get your kids, go do it right now. If they need you, I understand. I've gone just a little bit too long, but let's all stand. I want to make this so simple. We're going to sing a song to turn our eyes to Jesus, to look to him. But before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity. If there's any area in your life right now any area where the Holy Spirit spoken to you today and said, I need you to let this go. I need you to adjust your course. I need you to lean in and listen. Don't let my word return void, but let my word find fertile soil in your hearts. Maybe it's an area of consecration and commitment. You know the source is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the word. Hey, <laughs> but maybe you've grown weary and lethargic, indifferent and lukewarm. Compared to Samson, you're still a, a, a good person for sure. Hopefully we all are. But maybe the Lord says, hey, let's go deeper. I miss you. I miss you. Maybe it's a purity issue. Maybe it's a commitment. It Maybe it's devotion. It could be accountability. Let me just say this and say it simply. The Holy Spirit will show you what it is right now in your heart. And I want to make this simple for you. If there's any area in your life where you need the Lord to extract it from you and take it from you and replace it with sweet intimacy and sweet joy with him, if you need a miracle today and you need to repent of something and you need the Lord to move in a greater way in your life, would you simply just raise up your hand right now in great humility and great submission to the Lord? Father, I pray in Jesus' name, his hands are going up. I'm not looking. I'm trusting you, Holy Spirit. As hands are going up, Lord, that you would give supernatural power and restoration. We want you. We apologize, Lord, for our sin. We apologize for making room for self, Lord, for playing with fire, for being cocky, for being egotistical, Lord, for being sinful and rebellious, Lord. We don't want our way. We want your way. And Lord, it took Samson all the way to the last day of his life to say, Lord, just take my life. Take my life. And so, Lord, we say that right now in Jesus' name. Take our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for taking our lives back, for taking our ways back. We say yes and amen to Jesus. You can put your hands down. Holy Spirit, be kind to us, we pray. As we sing this song, may you, Lord, break chains. May you restore marriages. May you restore relationships. May you restore intimacy vertically and horizontally. May you do a work, Lord, for your children. We love you so much, and we sing to you now in Jesus' name. Let's sing together. If you need prayer, come find me underneath the screen by the hoodies. Let's sing.